Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning. Uh, today we'll be reading Romans 1, 13 to 17, which is on page 939 in the Bible in the seat in front of you. If you don't have access to a Bible at home, please feel free to take that with you. After the service, our community would love for you to have it. Uh, my name is Jesse Stansberry, and I serve as the deaconess of Other People Focused here at the Door Church. Um, my husband and I also lead a discipleship group within our community. Uh, we have three children, and we have been members here at the Door Church for about five or six years. So again, we're reading Romans 1, 13 to 17 on page 939 in the um, seat in front of you. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live by faith. This is the Word of God. All right. Well, thank you, Jesse. Um, thank you to the Stansberries. If you don't know them, they are a blessing uh, to our community and our church, and I'm thankful that she read that today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Darren Smith. I am a non-staff elder and a member on the preaching team, and um, on behalf of the Door Church, welcome uh, to our gathering today. The letter of Romans is one of the most influential documents ever written in human history. It was, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it was given to Paul, who wrote it, most likely in Corinth on his third missionary journey, and he wrote it around AD 55 or 55 AD. He wrote it to the church in Rome, and they were a mixed group of people, so they were both Jews and Gentiles. The, the book of Romans is filled with lofty theological ideas. It is deep, and sometimes it feels complicated. If you were here last week, you heard Scott talk about how it inspired Augustine, how it actually led to his conversion. And even Martin Luther, the great reformer, uh, did not understand God until he read the book of Romans, and it really converted him. And not only the book of Romans, but the actual verses uh, that we're going to look at today inspired Martin Luther. So no pressure, huh? Um, and what I would like to say, though, is that while that is all true, and, and, and uh, it is huge and big and wonderful, um, it is also for simple people like me. Um, many of you have maybe heard this story before, but um, I was raised in a, a good home, a Christian home. Um, I always uh, did what I thought was right. Um, I worked very hard for my salvation. Um, I thought that I was good. I thought I was better than good. I thought the Lord was lucky to have me on his team. Um, and at some point, um, as I got into my 30s, 
um, uh, what happens with legalistic people happened to me. And I, that was, I, I, re- I realized it was all a sham. It was all a lie. I had built this life that I thought was right, but I realized that I couldn't attain to that grace. And so I was about to give up on God. I was about to walk away from God. And, and through the urging of my sister, uh, she encouraged me, some might say nagged me, uh, to go to a little a thing called Bible Study Fellowship. Many of you maybe have done that or heard of that. And so I just signed up and went, and I, I walked in, and wouldn't you know it, we're studying the book of Romans. And so for several months, I sat under the book of Romans, um, and it changed my life. I can without a doubt tell you that it, it, it took me from death to life. Um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and this is, um, this is personal to me today. Um, I can't help but just laugh at God's wonder as <laughs> he took me from that. And years later, here I am talking about Romans. Romans is for everybody. It's for theologians, but it's for you, and it's, it's for me. And as we look at this passage today, as we look at this these just short verses, what's interesting about it is that this is the concise summary of the rest of the letter. Smart people call that a thesis. I call it a concise summary. And Paul is going to give us this grand, bold overview of the book of Romans. And then like those Russian dolls um, that you open up and they get, they get finer and finer and finer until they kind of get to the point where you're like, this has got to be the last one. And then there's another one. And then there's another one. That's what Paul is going to do with Romans. And so what we are considering today sets up the rest of the book. And so it's important that we get this right. And here's the basic theme of our message today, but also the rest of the book of Romans. And it goes like this. It says, all humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That's the bad news. The even worse news is that we can't work our way out of that sin But God has an eternal plan, and his plan is that he is going to give us righteousness as a gift through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and that changes everything. That changes your current world and your future state of salvation. I do not believe it is an overstatement to say that these little verses are the most life-changing message that has ever been put into man's hands. And so that can seem daunting, and that can seem overwhelming, but I believe that the Spirit and the Apostle Paul give us a very simple outline. And so these are the three things I want to do. I want to break this down into three parts. Number one, I want to look at this idea of, I am not ashamed. That is a really weird way to state something, isn't it? It's in the negative, but it's very rich and it's very deep. The second thing that he focuses on is the power of God. I'm not ashamed for it's the power of God. I want to look at the power of God. And then he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So we're going to look at the righteousness of God. And around all of, all of this, the main point of the sermon and the, the title today is the power of God. We are talking about the power of God. So as we begin to think about um, this this idea of um, not being ashamed, it is very deep and it is very rich. 
And it actually, I think I'd like to connect it to the verse before that in 14, where he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. If you back up a little bit in the first chapter of, of Romans, <clears throat> Paul says, I am eager to come to you. He wants to come to them to encourage, but there's a, there's a little nugget in there too. Paul also wants to be encouraged himself. I want to come encourage you, and I want you to encourage me. See, he feels this, this obligation, or you could say debt, to the Romans. Now, he has never met them. He's never been there. He hasn't FaceTimed them. They've never sent text messages. Um, he, he isn't a fan of their Facebook page. But he knows of them, and he loves them, and he feels this obligation. And so when you think about obligation or debt, you can think of multiple things. One thing is a, a debt, right? So um, you take out a loan and you buy a house, unless you can pay cash for it. I like to tell my, my kids, uh, we don't own this house. The, the bank owns it, right? Um, that's a debt that you pay back. But then there's also this idea of an obligation. <clears throat> and that is that you have been given this great gift and you have to share it. You are now obligated to share it. So you have to share what you have been given. It's kind of that concept of paying it forward. You know, there are um, several billionaires in the, in the United States that have signed a giving pledge, I think is what they call it. And that is that they want to give away uh, the bulk of their fortune uh, before they die. Now, don't worry. Their kids are going to be fine. They're taken care of. But they're going to try to give it away, right? And so that's kind of the sense here is that the Apostle Paul feels that he's carrying this. And he's got to, again, pay back the debt that he owes. You see, Paul had a grand plan for his life. Paul was um, a Jewish leader, and he was rising through the ranks of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. Later on, he would say, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to keeping the law spotless. I mean, this dude was a straight arrow, and he was by the book. But something happened. This little thing called Christianity popped up. It ruined his plans. So all of a sudden, he feels like he's got to stop it. And so he is stopping it. He's very good at it. He was directly involved um, in the murder of Christians. In fact, one day he's traveling to go get some more Christians and putting them in prison. And guess who shows up and talks to him on the road to Damascus? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you met the Lord in person, I think that would be a holy and fearful thing. But if you met the resurrected Savior that would be uh, enormously fearful. And he never forgot it. He always then therefore understood the wrath of God and he understood that he had been spared from it and he has this obligation. And so he says, I have an obligation to everybody. And I can't, I think, overstate the tensions that are happening um, in that church between the law-observing Jewish Christians and those who did not come from Jewish backgrounds, the Greeks, the Gentiles. I can't overstate that because if you look around the um, audience today, we are, we are different people. We're different ages. Um, we come from different backgrounds. We're different races. We have different amounts of money and education and all that things. And yet, we're still Americans. We're still united, and we still have uh, 2,000 years of Christian history. And so we're united in that way. But you see, um, at this time, Christianity was less than 30 years old. It was 30 years old. And so you had these Jews who were the children of God. And so when these other people, these Gentiles, these savages, these 
pagans came in, they were asking them to also observe the law. And you can imagine from the Jewish standpoint, that was a non-starter. We are not doing that. And so there's all these tensions. And the point is that the gospel broke through that barrier. And Paul says, I'm coming, but I'm not coming to the Jews alone. And I'm not coming to the Gentiles alone. I'm coming to you all because you all need it. And that's the point. The first point here is that the gospel is for everyone. Everyone needs the gospel. Those who are not religious, those of you who've never come to faith in Christ, you need the gospel. You know what you're doing? You're out there, you're doing all these things, you're rejecting God. And by the way, God's big enough for you to question him and argue with him. He welcomes it, he loves it. But you may be out there wrestling with God in that way, but you know what you're doing is you're building yourself up as God. You need the gospel today. And then those of us who are religious, those of us who claim Jesus Christ, and yet we've slipped into this workspace religion, and we think that by our own virtue or our merit, that we're here today, right, with a holy huddle, um, that we think that we're somehow earning it. Paul would speak to us and say, no, the gospel is for you too. If he was coming to Louisville, he'd say, I'm coming to them all. I've got an obligation to all of you. The gospel is for, it all, for us all. And not only that, he says this, again, peculiar phrase that I want to dig down on just a little bit. He says, I'm obligated, I'm obligated to all of you, and I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Again, that is an odd thing to say. Like, what if your dad came up to you and you said, hey, good game, I am not ashamed of the way you played. And you'd be like, well, thanks, dad, right? What, is that? what does that mean? I'm not ashamed of you. Okay. Okay, so in order to understand this, we have to understand their culture. And when I talk about culture, I'm talking about uh, the way that we think, our mindset that defines value, okay? And because it defines value, it creates a set of rules. It's how we do things. Now, I want to start by our, our culture. We live in what they call a guilt culture. Now, that means that we measure everything on the yardstick of right and wrong. Knowing and exercising individual rights is a primary concern. And that that makes sense, right? In our our Declaration of Independence and in our Constitution, we have an alienable right, right? The individual. And so in, in our culture, what you do defines your value. And you so the self is often greater than the group. What does that mean? Well, we, we take kids and we tell them, you can be anything you want to be, right? You can be president. And we love those stories of people who were raised in poverty and then become president of the United States. That is because our culture allows it. We teach children that. We teach them to be law-abiding citizens. And we define innocence as being right or righteous. But they don't live in that type of culture. They live in what you call a shame and honor culture. And there are still parts of the world, in fact, a a huge portion of the world still uh, does this. They live in a shame culture, and that means that the issue, the key issue that keeps you um, in society isn't right or wrong itself, but honorable or dishonorable. So having honor and avoiding shame are the highest goals. And so the group is greater than the self. And so you never would have taken a little boy from Nazareth and said, you could be the king of kings, right? That's why that was crazy. That's why that was groundbreaking because they lived in this type of culture. 
And so shame comes from failing to fulfill the group's expectations. And that's the point here. So as Paul is writing to these Romans, their value and their esteem had been assigned by society. And so it could be based on a lot of different things. It could be based on wealth and education, uh, your rhetorical skills, um, your family, your connections. You know, um, if you think about all throughout the Bible, why is adoption so important? Why is adoption so important? You're now into a family, right? You've been adopted. Even Nero, the the emperor, was adopted. (laughs) The, The man who became the emperor had been adopted. This permeated their culture, and that's why Paul talks about it so much. Later on in Romans, he's going to talk about this idea of boasting, and in 2 Corinthians 2, and then he talks about shame. So if you ever hear the Apostle Paul write, and he says, uh, there's no reason to boast, or I'm not ashamed, and all those things, he talks about it a lot. You know what he's really talking about is social rank. He's talking about their social rank, and he's calling to mind a person's status in society. When the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed, he's talking about social rank. So why would the gospel be shameful? Uh, why would it be shameful? Well, society would, would, would assign value. And so people like Caesars and senators um, and, and even citizens of Rome would be in higher esteem. In fact, it's really interesting. If you look at Acts 16, the Apostle Paul is being persecuted and he slyly kind of just drops this hint. He's like, pretty interesting you're doing this to a citizen of Rome without a trial. And, and you can just watch everybody just kind of take two steps. And the guy, he's like, whoa, wait a minute. I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. You're telling me you're a citizen? He goes, yeah, I was born into it. You know what he's doing there? He's setting social rank. He's setting social rank and social order. And so it would have been unbelievably dishonorable to, to follow somebody Um, who was a criminal, Jesus Christ. It would have been of no value. You see, crucifixion was for criminals. And so it therefore would have been shameful. And it would have been shameful to also argue and say, my king is Jesus, not Caesar. You see, they're they're flipping it upside down. And this is evident in Hebrews 12th chapter, verse 2, where the Bible says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. That means he didn't count it as anything. And I don't know that we sometimes think about that. When, when Jesus was on the cross, it was terrible and painful, and he was separated from God, and he was also experiencing that shame, and his family was experiencing that shame, and all of his followers were experiencing that shame. That's why they all, most of them ran away, right? <laughs> They ran, they scattered, run away, don't be seen here. And so how could you worship Jesus? You would be mocked, you would be seen as a weakling, you would be seen as poor as riffraff. And so Paul is undoing all the beliefs about human value and all that establishes worth outside of Jesus Christ. And he says, there is no reason to have honor except in Jesus. And the converse of that is true. There's no reason to be ashamed if you are in Jesus. And I don't want you to walk past this point today. This is world changing. 
It is changing the way that we look at humanity and at ourselves. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 17 says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. It's not the people that are talking about how great they are at church or in other status uh, um, areas in life. No, it's the one that the Lord commends. Those who are in Jesus um, have a reason to boast in Him alone. And the converse of that is true, that you have no reason to be ashamed. And so what does this mean to us in our culture? Our culture is different, but I don't think it's dissimilar in that we, f- we struggle to find value outside of Jesus. So they did that too, and it was based on what society said. We do it, but it's based on our own heart. A couple of ways I think we're ashamed of of the gospel of Christ. Um, This idea, this God of self-worth that we set up. Um, We live in a country that we don't like freeloaders. We don't like to be called a freeloader. Um, We'll pay our own way. We'll do our own thing. We're bootstrap people, right? And we say... um, Uh, we look at the gospel and the gospel says, you know what, you're a failure. (laughs) And your only hope is to be a freeloader. There's this cult of humanity out there that um, somehow if we all get together and hold hands, we can solve the world's problems, that the goodness inside of us is good enough to overtake things. And hear me, um, working together and being at peace is great, but that's not what's going to save us because the gospel tells us you're wicked. And only the death of the Son of God could save you. You'll see these things on social media. Sometimes they drive me nuts. There'll be an old man. He'll scoop up a a little baby kitten or something in the middle of a road. And someone will write, faith in humanity restored. And I'm like, no. No. It's not restored. It's like, that's a good good deed. But but no. (laughs) And then we also have this. This, um, this ability to be ashamed of the gospel because we're, we're looking for this easy life um, and with health and wellness. And people will, will preach that to you. They'll preach prosperity. If you do these things, then God's going to bless you and do all these things. That's not the gospel. That's false teaching. The Bible says salvation is through serving and suffering. Jesus said, take up your cross. You see, that's easy to be ashamed of, isn't it? Paul is teaching us that the only identity that matters is Jesus, that no one gets to boast or to shame others. Kings and slaves are fellow servants of Jesus, the only true king in his kingdom, and we are a new creation. And so here's the first point. The gospel has world-changing power that destroys cultural barriers. It runs counter to society, and it gives us an obligation and indeed an eagerness to share its saving messages. The second thing that the Apostle Paul turns his attention to is really what I think is the heart of this teaching, and that's the power of God. He says, for I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So we go from the heart of the Apostle to the heart of the Epistle, and he turns his thoughts to the very power of God. So here's the thing that's interesting about this world is that we all want the power of God. We all want this power that he's talking about, this power of salvation. Because we know that we live in a fallen world and there is a day down the road where we become weak and feeble and we are going to pass away. Think about uh, the Queen of England, a wonderful leader, wonderful lady, right? And I think maybe most of us thought she might live forever. She's been here my whole life. But her day comes. It's coming for us all. And so we want the power to reverse that. We're looking at the power to reverse that. 
Now, I think a perfect example of this is the advertising industry. And I love, I love ads. I love um, kind of breaking them apart and analyzing what they're saying. And um, there is an ad um, that really ran in the 60s, 70s, maybe 50s through the 80s. Um, and if you're under the age of 40, it's hard to believe this, but they actually used to advertise cigarettes on television, long, beautiful ads. Um, and there was one in particular that I think illustrates this point. It's the Marlboro Man. And if you don't know it, look it up. But if you're young, don't look it up and smoke. Smoking's terrible, okay? Um, so the Marlboro Man is a rugged dude. He's, you know, about 50, but he's chiseled and he's, he's great looking. And he's always with the most beautiful woman who's about 15 years younger than him. It's pretty interesting how that works, right? And so um, they are either flying a plane or riding a horse or doing something awesome. And um, in this one particular ad, she lights a cigarette and hands it to him. And he, he takes it and he smokes it like a man. Not like a guy from France that would smoke it like this, right? He takes it like John Wayne and he's like... <sighs> and, so, and then it shows him. And then at the end of it, they say... Um, come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. And what they're telling you is, your life is awful. I mean, it's not what you thought it would be. Um, you, you don't have a plane. You don't have a horse. You're not doing all these great things. Your wife doesn't look like this. You're not fulfilled in anything. But you want it. You want to be like that guy. Come take the flavor. What they're saying is, come live that life. And you're never going to get it, but if you buy this cigarette, you're going to have a little bit of what he has. You know what's interesting about that? Multiple models that played the Marble Man have died of lung cancer. And never is there a better example of this image that we can grasp that just leads to death. And that's what we're looking for, that power, but it all leads to death and destruction. We look at it in sex, in money, in beauty. And if you're a member of the church, you might look at it It's a church or works or religion, but you're taking your focus off the power of God. And, and what the Apostle Paul is telling us is the only power that saves is the gospel. That word power is dynamite. That's the, the literal word. It's where we get dynamite. It's explosive. It moves mountains. It's not an expression of the power, but it is the Power. He says it's the power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You see, there's only one force that can give salvation, and it is the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved is the power of God. Skipping to verse 23 he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. And to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. Do you see there again, he's saying it's a stumbling block. Again, ashamed, right? It's a stumbling block. It's foolishness, but there's no reason to be ashamed. I love this passage because Satan brings death. God created the world and that was power. But then Satan brought corruption to it. And it is through the demonstration of the gospel that the real power of God is demonstrated, that, that he can reverse everything that Satan never thought of, is the power of God. It's the ultimate power. It completely changes people, and it makes, as C.S. Lewis would say, all sad things untrue. And through the gospel, God defeats sin, Satan, and death. And this is a salvation act of God. 
It's for everyone who believes. I love what John Calvin said about faith. This is how he described it. He said, faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence towards us, founded upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the point. The gospel is the power of God. It's the same power that spoke the world into existence, and it's given to everyone who believes, and it changes lives. And then quickly moving along to the last point of righteousness. So he he starts about being ashamed, and he talks about power. And now he says, for in it, in that power, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So how can the gospel save through faith? Well, I believe that at the root of every sin is the problem of unbelief in Jesus. So, um, you know, you might be tempted when you look at a sin to think that they're tempted by that particular sin, but really it just um, is an unbelief that Jesus is who he says he is. If you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, and we run around all the time not believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and we have this rejection. But in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed, and the faith activates the revelation of righteousness to God. And so therefore we can see Jesus and it becomes our new operating system. It changes us. And so you're not the same as you used to be. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul wrote, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, To those of you with keen ears who were here a few weeks ago, we talked about ministers of reconciliation, and we we, we did this this verse. And what what this is, this together with the passage that we're looking at today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's um, imputed righteousness is what theologians say, and that is that um, on the cross, our long list of crimes were legally charged to Jesus And God credits that righteousness to us as if we had lived it. That is power. That is the truth that only saves us. So we're running around looking for it everywhere, but that's the righteousness of God and that is his power. You see, this this concept of of being saved, salvation, and, and the righteousness of God is very, very deep. And I think sometimes we do a little bit of a disservice when we just focus on the moment of salvation, right? So we, we want people to put their faith and trust in Jesus um, and to be saved. And that is, that's beautiful and wonderful, and it's certainly a part of it, but that's not the full, the full teaching. You see, it's not just um, that future salvation from your sin that allows you to go to heaven. It is that, and that's awesome. But you see, it's also a present reality, a present rescue from the state of sin, a present reality as as well as a future hope. So it's not just forgiveness. Some people think that this forgiveness process is just like having your, your slate wiped clean. Again, that is part of it. But then they think, well, now it's up to me to keep it clean. That's how I thought when I was growing up. God, forgive me. I prayed all the time. Lord, please forgive me. Wipe the slate clean. Give me another chance. And and, um, and then I would try uh, to keep that slate clean. But what I, I never realized is I couldn't do that. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying your slate is clean. But more than that, I've written on there and I've written on your slate all the righteousness of Jesus. 
That is the truth. And so now we have a new status. We have a new family and we have a new future in a transformed life. This is an unparalleled claim. The Apostle Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2 verse 4 um, when he talks about um, it is revealed from faith for faith. This is unparalleled. He says, um, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And what that means um, here in Romans, it says, by faith for faith. It means by the faith of God for your faith. You see, God intended to bring restorative justice to the world. And he made this covenant with Abraham. And he was faithful to that. And in Jesus, he has shown himself to be faithful and to fulfill that covenant. So those who believe the good news about him will find that faithfulness reaches out and embraces them with a salvation that can never be taken away. And that's the point, that only through faith in Jesus is the righteousness of him revealed. And it's transferred to us, and it transforms us. And more than that, it calls us into life, into the participation of life with Jesus. Do you get that? Do you see that? And I want to ask you today in conclusion, please do not walk away from this truth without wrestling with it. If you, um, if you haven't come to Christ and if you're far from Him, wrestle with this. Question it. Argue it. Fight it. But, but, but give it its due diligence. Don't walk away without considering it. And if you are somebody who claims to be a Christian, don't walk away from this truth. Is Jesus transforming you? Has He transformed you? Are you living a different life because of Him? This is the most life-changing message ever put into man's hands. It is the power of God. It's the power of God. And so I'll leave you with this. Number one, are you ashamed of the gospel? Again, think of it in status. Do you know that your value comes from God, that he loves you? Do you know how much he loves you? That doesn't mean he's overlooking sin. That doesn't mean that you keep living in your sin, but you know how much he loves you. Your value is determined by that. Your value is determined by the cross and not culture. Are you searching for power somewhere other than Jesus? Are you out there trying to be the Marlboro man? I'm here to tell you the only thing that will make you happy is the gospel and the power of God. It brings the salvation that I'm looking for and that you're looking for. And are you trusting in the righteousness of Christ? You know, when I was a kid, well, we still sing it. There's an old hymn that says, Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. Dressed in his righteousness alone. We have the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so amazed by this teaching. It changed my life, and I know it will change everyone's life. Would you pray with me? God, I I come to you today, and I thank you for... Um, all of our friends and our family who are gathered here. Um, Lord, we pray that this uh, message that you delivered to Paul, that he delivered to the Romans, would be huge in our lives. I pray that um, it would, first off, convict us and that it would change us and transform us. Lord, it is, it is heavy. 
and it is dense, but I pray that you'd help us to see your truths in it. Give us your wisdom to know what you would say to us. Lord, um, to the people um, here, to, to me, to all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and we pray that you would give us rest. We pray that we would rest in the power of the gospel. It's your power. Lord, thank you for loving us. There's no reason for that, but we need it and we love you. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray.